Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, you, and you will eat fruit until you, and you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Apologies. Oh, here we go. There we go. We're good? We're good. We're great. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, thank you so much to everyone who's got us to this point in the service. Thank you uh, for our band leading us. Elliot, thank you also for leading us uh, for our prayer ministry team and uh, our hospitality team as well. It's a great team effort, these evening services. Who am I? Who am I? This is the second in our series of four sermons looking at the theme of identity. And I was away this week on a residential for vicars. They exist. Uh, And uh, as is often the case with these things, we came to some psychometric tests. You know, the Myers-Briggs stuff, you know, where they tell you what kind of a person you are. And... um, as we explored on this, the last sermon about identity, and as I was reminded of this week, it's, it's really important to know who you are, to know yourself, particularly in our constantly changing world where it's, it's not so easy to work it out. The trouble is, as I was again reminded this week, uh, looking yourself honestly and unflinchingly in the mirror, as it were, is not always the greatest amount of fun. You get a reminder of those bits of you that you wish weren't like they are. So I got my psychometric report back, and um, as usual, there's a set. You know, that's a section about the things that you're going to struggle with, and it usually rings painfully true. And I'm not going to tell you all the things because I'm not quite at that stage yet. Okay, give me a couple more years, right? But here's one. And please don't deliver this back to me in the middle of a really bad conversation I'm having with you. But here we go. Uh, there was the bit where it said that I am probably prone to making decisions too quickly and without enough careful thought. Now, I know that. I I knew that before. From painful experience, I know that I am prone to make decisions too quickly and without enough careful thought. So it's kind of painful to be told it already. Anyway, I got to the end of the session And I thought, that's that's enough self-hatred for a little while. I'm going to take a break from this. I'm going to get on my bike um, and uh, clear my head. So I put all my biking gear on uh, to go for a bike ride. Um, And I went down to the car where my bike, uh, my shoes and my helmet were. And I opened the boot to get the bike out of the the boot. And I was about to get the rest of my stuff. uh, And then I thought, oh, I better not take the car key, you know, on this bike ride. I don't want to get lost on this, you know highways and byways of sorry. I'll tell you what, we're in the middle of nowhere. I can leave the car open. I'll put the key in the car. So I put the, put the key in the car and I, I closed the boot. And, uh, and then I thought about it for a moment. And I pressed the, the boot latch and uh, nothing happened. 
And so my mind started racing and my heart started sinking and I went around all the doors and they're, they're all locked. Um, none of them open, nothing. I'm 10 miles outside the M25 at this stage. The car is completely locked. The key is right there, just smiling at me from inside. Uh, the only other key is back in Croydon. Well, I thought, think positive. I came out here to go for a bike ride. That's easy. I'll, I'll just cycle back to Croydon to pick up the other key. And then I looked down and I was wearing flip-flops. And my shoes were in, in the car. So the Lord gave me an extra 40 minutes there and 40 minutes back to think about the fact, one stroke at a time, that I make decisions too quickly and really without enough careful thought. It's painful, isn't it, to see yourself as you really are. And that brings us to today's sermon Last week, we got our grounding in the Bible's teaching on identity. And I hope you, if you were here, you really found that huge comfort and affirmation in that. And I almost sort of want to say, if you weren't here, please go out and listen to it first before listening to me now. Because without that, we're going to get the wrong picture. If, if you missed it, do go back and listen. But what we saw there is, is important. It's not all the Bible has to say about who we are. The Bible talks about our great worth, but also about the fundamental problems of our identity. And that's what we're going to think about today. And that means that whereas last week's, uh, well, two weeks ago, that sermon was, although I hope thoroughly biblical, also probably sounded quite in tune with our culture, what we hear about ourselves in the world, lots of affirmation. Today's is going to sound quite out of step with our culture. We live in a world where, frankly, anything that falls short of unqualified affirmation, any negativity about ourselves, is not only unusual, it can even be considered dangerous. But ultimately, we want to know the truth, don't we? And it's God who actually knows us best. So we want to hear from him. We want to hear what he has to say about us. And actually, I don't think if we're honest, any of us really thinks we are quite as flawless as the world falls over itself backwards to try and tell us that we are. But without any other grounding, words like sin, evil, wrong, they can feel like quite a scary place to go. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to take on board last week's theme that we are made in the image of God, that we are of great worth to him, so to heart to be so confident in the value that the Lord puts on us that we have enough security to be honest about ourselves and acknowledge what is wrong with us. Last thing to say uh, uh, today, just as today is not the last thing, uh, not the first thing to say about identity, that's last week, it's also not the last thing. And uh, so please do come back next week and hear more about how Christ gives us a glorious new identity. And then beyond that, how we work out that identity. But for today, I've just got two basic truths I want to I share with you, which express something of our brokenness, the disintegration of our identity. Here's the first one. I am my body, but I also struggle with my body. I am my body, but I also struggle with my body. And the second one is, I am one, but I'm divided. I'm one, but I'm divided. And hopefully I'm going to explain both of those enough so that they make sense to you if they don't right now. First then, 
I am my body, but I also struggle with my body. I am my body. Or to put it from another direction, this body is me. We read that last week in Psalm 139. Perhaps you remember it. Um, the, The psalm says this, you, speaking to God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I wonder where you would locate your your real self, the real you. If you read around a bit, there are all sorts of ideas about where the real you is. Increasingly popular in our day, I think, is to consider that I am, in fact, only my mind or my soul. And that my body, all the rest of this, is kind of incidental to who I am. So you could take my brain out and you could put it in another body or you could even plug it into the matrix and it would still be me. Just to be clear, that's, that's what people tend to think in our culture, though there's a variety of opinions. The biblical picture is different. The psalmist 139, he uses my inmost being, me, my frame, my unformed body, kind of interchangeably. So God making my body and God making me, that was the same thing. It was one activity. My body and my soul and my mind, they're just, they're one. One indivisible thing. Now, up until relatively recently, I am my body was really a thoroughly uncontroversial idea. But in our culture, with the changes in thought, the advances in technology, we've got some big questions to ask, very serious ones about that, that we've never really faced before. Here's one. What if I start replacing my body with robotic parts when the originals stop working? Do I, at some stage, stop being me? Now, let me tell you this. I think basically all of you already answered that question. Because if, if you've got a tooth filling, you're kind of already, in principle, okay with some replacement. And if you haven't got a tooth filling, that's brilliant. Well done. Keep going. But what if it's my brain? What if I swap out my brain? Now, listen. Time eludes us right now uh, to really explore this. What I've just talked about is... Uh, a a topic, an area called transhumanism. And I'm going to show you a couple of books uh, today. This one I want to recommend to you is called Transhumanism uh, and the Image of God. Uh, It's written by a guy called Jacob Schatzer. It's a fantastic introduction to begin to think through some of this stuff. And by the way, if we're going to work this out as a human race, we need Christians who are going to think about this stuff. And not just kind of wheel straight into whatever the technology says. Look, it's brilliant. We can take the brain out and it still works. We've got to think about it. That's all I'm going to say to that. Probably much more relevant right now is this question. And again, I'm not going to say that much about it, but it's important to, to name it. Can I decide that I am something other than what my body would suggest? Can I decide that I am something other than what my body would suggest? I'm just going to say a few things to that. Firstly, let's notice what is going on in our culture. 
People are asking that question in lots of different ways. For example, can I identify with a gender that is different from my sex? Now, that question is sometimes it's not always connected to, in response to gender dys- dysphoria. Now, broadly speaking, though no doubt it isn't like this everywhere, the culture in which we live here in the West, we try to embrace trans people and indeed to affirm them in their chosen identity. But that's not always the case in different elements of our identity. So think about when it comes to age. I don't know whether any of you, you, you noticed this. A few years back, the, the BBC carried a story about a Dutch man named Emil Ratband. And he was trying to change his age from 69 to 49 because he felt 49, not 69. And the general response from people looking at that was actually curiosity. So people didn't really necessarily affirm him nor really reject him. It was just kind of, yeah, okay, interesting. I'll write an article about you. Then uh, a very different reaction met Rachel Dolezal. Now, I don't know whether you remember her. She, um, Rachel Dolezal, she was a, a, an American citizen. She'd been born to two white parents in the U.S. She had a very difficult childhood. Uh, and she had distanced herself from her birth family. And she'd adopted a series of black fathers. And she wore elaborate braided hair. She identified as black. She, she in fact, became the president of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People in Spokane, Washington. But then it came to light that she didn't have any black ancestry. And she said, well, this is just how I feel. And she was met with a wave of mockery and disgust, especially by African-Americans who felt that she was exploiting the history of black suffering to play the victim. Now, please hear me very clearly. I'm not making any judgments here yet. I mean, we could have that discussion. I'm not going to. From a Christian perspective, all I'm doing is describing the culture in which we live. And frankly, the confusion that abounds around this question, can I be something other than what my body would suggest? And I want to say very deliberately on this occasion, particularly, I guess this is relevant for trans issues. If you are struggling with issues of identity in terms of gender, or indeed if you're trans, or if you're thinking of inviting someone here who might be, it would be wonderful. You're so welcome, and anyone is, uh, to join us. The point is this. If I ask Am I my body in today's West? Well, it's, it's complicated. If you'd like to speak more, uh, think more about that, I want to recommend this book. It's by Sam Albury. It's uh, uh, What Does God Say About Our Bodies? And uh, it's, it's a fantastic and compassionate um, and wise, I think, exploration of some of those questions. But I think really the answer, important answers to all of these questions come from a slightly different angle. And this is the other, the, the balance of the point that I've already made. I think it's helpful to bring that in. I am my body, but I also struggle with my body. How's that a biblical perspective? Well, here's one, pretty obvious one. I'm sure you've heard this one. Prophet Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. We grow tired. We fall over. We know that we have trouble with our bodies. But it goes further than that. Think about what Jesus did when he came into this world. Much of his 
work was healing, healing the lame, the crippled, the mute, the blind, and many others. And the Bible traces all of this back to our beginnings in Genesis, which we were hearing a bit from earlier. Adam and Eve sin. And God responds with his judgment. And not only does God decree that they're going to eventually die, he says um, the woman was going to experience pain in childbirth. Um, uh, the, the man is going to get, have this curse of, of having to work the ground and get exhausted while he does so. And I think the point is not just, just those things. Those two things are kind of symptoms of how all of our mortality, the fact that we're going to die, actually seeps backwards into our existence right now. So here we are, we're alive, but every day we're struggling with decay, death, disintegration, frustration in our bodies. And that affects our identity. So let me put some flesh on the bone. Perhaps you've had a lifelong battle with a medical condition. Now, it's hard to love the fact that your knees went when you were 15 and you'd never been able to play sport since then. We struggle with our bodies. Or perhaps you've always struggled with some aspect of your appearance. You, know, you, you look in, in the mirror and you struggle with the body that you see there. You know, perhaps like me, your ears aren't straight. It's got you looking, hasn't it? Um, no, but perhaps it's really deep as well. Perhaps it's not trivial. Perhaps you even struggle to identify with any part of the body that you see in the mirror or that you see around you. Perhaps your body just doesn't reliably produce the right balance of chemicals for your brain. And so you're given to depression or, or some kind of other mental health struggles. We could go on with this list for some time, couldn't we? We struggle with our bodies. And that's the reality of being fallen people. So I am my body, but I also really struggle with this body. Now, what do we do with this? Well, again, I want to commend that book by Sam Albury, if you want to think further about this. But I want to suggest a few things from what we've seen. The following challenge. First of all, we've got the challenge to see the good in our bodies to accept our bodies as a, as a gift from God and, and to thank him for our bodies, even when that's not altogether easy. Second, we need to acknowledge the struggle with our bodies. It's important that we don't expect a kind of perfect harmony between what we wish we were bodily and what we are bodily. So we acknowledge that struggle without somehow minimizing it or saying it's not that important. And third, and this is really what's going to enable us to acknowledge it, we look to the future for the redemption of our bodies. One day, Jesus is going to do in each one of us completely what he did partially, just a little bit, in all those people that he healed. When, when we die, we don't believe we, we leave our bodies behind as Christians. We believe our bodies, our whole bodies will be renewed. And on that day we will finally be made one properly with our bodies and so our identity in our bodies will be complete for now though i am my body but i struggle with my body okay we've got a little bit more work to do i'll tell you what we're going to do we're just going to take a little bit of a break uh uh, before we go to our, our next point, and I would love you to just introduce yourself to the people around you. Uh, you've got a chance to uh, particularly say hi to someone you haven't met before, but it's fine if there aren't those people around you. And um, when you get to know one another, and if you like, 
if you like, but you don't have to do this at all, you might want to just discuss a little bit, just for a few minutes, whether you find it easy to say that you are one person or whether you find that actually your identity seems to go off in different directions. No need to, you don't have to do that, just if you feel comfortable. Otherwise, introduce one another. Okay, three or four minutes, um, and, and then we will regather. Okay, off you go. Now, it's, it's lovely to hear the buzz. Uh, do continue those conversations uh, later on. If I can just say to you a little bit, I, I, I love this opportunity to chat. By the way, I really hope that we feel like we can chat about all sorts in this church building, the weather, whatever, you know, your, your favorite kind of hobbies and so forth. But I do hope that we feel this is a place where just informally we can talk to one another about the things of God, about the things that really matter to us. And that, that we feel is a place where that's welcome and that we're here, we're, we, we meet to, to make that happen. So do take those conversations with you and a bit further if you'd like. But let's get back to where we were. I am my body, but I struggle with my body. The second point I want to share with you about our identity and really where it breaks down is this. I am one person, but I'm also divided. I'm one person, but I'm also divided. Now, I think we all know this, uh, and uh, it makes its way into all corners of our culture. Um, Take this picture, for example. Um, The third one, please, if we may. Okay, does anyone know who this is? It's Norway. It's Norway. Now, for some people, that that may require some explanation. Eurovision, title of net. Yes, I'm going to explain. This is Sub Wolfer, the Norwegian uh, entry in this year's Eurovision Song Contest. If you thought you had escaped it, you know, you took the evening off, you did something cultured last night. I'm really sorry. It's coming right back at you in a church service. Okay, and their song, Give That Wolf a Banana, uh, did all right. Uh, it's, it's based on, a, um, on the story of Red Riding Hood. And uh, without going into too much philosophical detail, it's basically a discussion between the wolf and Red Riding. Okay, bear with me here. Now, on the one hand, it's quite a, quite a virtuous discussion. Uh, it's, it's, it's a sort of discussion basically trying to keep grandma alive. Okay, so the chorus goes like this. And before that wolf eats my grandma, give that wolf a banana. Give that wolf. Uh, and before that wolf eats my grandma, give that wolf a banana. Give that wolf, give that wolf banana. So it's quite a pro-grandma chorus, right? We're definitely, yes, grandma's going to make it. Okay, and then you get to the next verse. And it says, I like the scent of every meal on your breath. That hunger in you, I'm in danger now. I guess let's go to grandma's. You say grandma tastes the best. Now, it's not entirely clear, I admit, uh, exactly what's going on here um, in Red Riding. But... um, it seems that she has another side. Right next to the pro-grandma, Red Riding, is a decidedly anti-grandma desire to enable grandma's demise. Okay, so that was all a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But basically, it's not the first pop song, is it? To say that there's kind of two sides. There's two sides to us. There's an internal division. And the thing is, 
pops on to make a bit of a joke about it, but from God's perspective, it's, it's not a joke. And the Bible's deadly serious about this division. And actually, in our lives, we realize why. The apostle Paul, he wrote the following in his letter to the Romans. Romans 7, 21, it says, it says this. I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So he's saying, look, in me there is a conflict, there's a division. And it's not just a battle between me and external forces, it's right inside me, in my inner being. Right in the same place where I delight in God's law, I am drawn to do the right thing, evil is right there with me too. So what he's saying is we have in us, in one person, a fundamental divide between good and evil. I'm one person, but I'm also divided. Now let's just think about the implications of that for for, for just one moment, because they're pretty significant for how we see ourselves. It means there is evil in us, and that evil is actually ours. Now what do I mean by that? Let me give you a counterexample. Um, the great romantics of the, of the Enlightenment, they had the following picture of, of human nature. They were trying to move on from their Christian heritage. And they believed that human nature is essentially good. And this idea you can find in our culture today, it's still there. It, basically, you're born fundamentally innocent and good, and it's just that you had the misfortune, unfortunately, all of us have this misfortune, to be born into a world full of masks and mischief. And so sadly, over time, for every one of us, we get corrupted by civilization around us. Now, if you follow that line of reasoning, basically what you get to is that any wrong that we do, any wrong that comes out of us, is, is only because someone else put it there. It's not actually us. But that's not the Christian picture. Jesus Put it like this. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. It's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. These are hard words from Jesus, aren't they? But he's our Lord, and he says this. It's out of our heart. Sin comes from within. It's ours. So that means, what's my identity? Well, I am a sinner. It's not just that I sin, I am a sinner. Now, wonderfully, Jesus has so much good news for sinners, and that's far from all we can say about ourselves. And come back next week and the week after to hear more about it. But it is one part. And in fact, our sin is at root a case of identity theft. I wonder whether you you heard that in the reading earlier. Genesis chapter 3 verse 4 Uh, The serpent says, you will certainly not die, for God knows when you eat from the fruit, your eyes will be opened. And here's the important bit. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see what's happening? See, look, the real problem at this moment, Adam and Eve, is is identity theft. You're going to start trying to take on the identity of God. And that's where it's all going to go wrong. Now, that doesn't mean that we are purely evil. 
nor far less that we are without worth. We are unworthy, but we're not worth less. But it still means that our sin is ours. So I'm one person, but I'm also divided. Now, there's so much more that we could say here. Time eludes us. I, I just want to give you a couple of implications that I think are really important to think through. I want us to think through what this means for the search for authenticity. That's a big thing in our culture, isn't it? We all want to be authentic. The celebrities, they come out with their big pronouncements on, on Instagram, don't they? And I talk about their career move or their relationship or, or difficult season of life. And, and so often the big message they want to communicate is, look, I'm being authentic. You know, I'm, it's time for me to be the, be the real me and admit to myself and admit to all the other 100,000, 1 million people that I'm the real me. By the way, you sniff a rat there, don't you, when someone's being authentic with a million people, but that's by the by. You get the idea. The message is, I need to be my real self. I need to stop pretending. Now, that's in many ways a really positive thing in our culture, right? We are encouraged not to pretend, not to put it on for the sake of so social expectation. The trouble is, alongside honesty, which has got to be a good thing, there is also this sense that each one of us has to be on a journey of authenticity. We have to find the real me. And only when we find that real me, and by the way, it's inside somewhere, will we really have arrived. Now, think about this. If we are divided fundamentally, we will never find the real me. In fact, that journey will be so painful because what will happen is we'll look inside, we'll look inside, and we'll suddenly think, I think I've got it. And then the next moment, we discover something else inside us that was totally not what we just saw. And then we're like, oh, all that searching, I was wrong, it's something else. So we look for the next one. And then we suddenly find something else inside us. Oh, no, that, that search didn't, wasn't right. Oh, I didn't go deep enough. I better go deeper. We said... And so, and so we search deeper and deeper and deeper. And instead of finding more out about ourselves and a more concrete and stable identity, we find ourselves more and more confused. So what do we need? Well, we need something from outside. We need God to speak to us externally and say, let me tell you who you are. And for that to be your identity. Now, I don't want to jump ahead, but in the coming weeks, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see how we can look to God and that he gives us a new name. That he gives us a new singular identity that's going to shape our future here and now. And it's going to shape our future into eternity. And then we're going to see how that identity gives us the answer to so many of the questions that we struggle with as we think about who we are. So to step back, I am one, but I'm also divided. If you like, living as each of us is, is like being a glorious ruin. A glorious ruin. Our experience as human beings has both of those things put together. Glory and brokenness. And that's just the truth of who we are. And we look to our Lord who loves us in the midst of that, and who one day will make us new.
Good, I'm going to invite the band to come up and join us. And just as they do that, um, let's just take a moment of quiet. Um, perhaps just think about some of the things that we've been looking at, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Lord, we've spent some time looking in the mirror of your word this evening, and the truths that we find there, they resonate with our experience, but they're also not easy truths to deal with. And so we come to you, first of all, just relying and depending on your love and your care for us. We pray for each one of us here. You would give us that sense of our deep worth that would enable us, that would ring fence, that would, that would enable us to, to, to consider any part of our unworthiness in proportion. But we pray also, Lord, that you'd give us an honesty. We pray that you would enable us to be truthful about ourselves, that we might run to you for the rescue and the transformation that you long to give to us. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you and perhaps particularly today, each person who is struggling with their identity. For each one of us, and it'll be in different ways that we perhaps are struggling with our bodies, understanding what to do with the bodies in which we live and that shape our lives. And Lord, we commit ourselves also in the midst of our struggles for identity as we search for the true me and find ourselves divided. Oh Lord, I pray that you would Help us out and forward of those things through our Lord Jesus. And we pray for all of these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.